We are continuing with our summer teaching series, Stories of God. We are on a journey through the Bible. The goal of this sermon series is not to throw biblical facts at you. We, what we are hoping is that you are going to begin to see common themes, common threads that run through the scriptures, threads that hold these stories together, threads that weave through our lives as well. Friends, I'd like to do a bit of context this morning with all of the comings and goings this summer, and I am aware from several of you that you are having a difficult time keeping up with the readings. So let me remind us, paint a bit of a picture of the context of where we have been before we step into 2 Samuel chapter 7. Because we are traveling through thousands of years of history, seeing a God who created a world and who deeply desires relationship with his people, a people loved and chosen who are called to live a particular way. So last week we found ourselves in the period of the judges. The, the Hebrew people, they had already been through a time in the wilderness under the leadership of Moses. Joshua then leads them into the promised land, which brings us to the time of the judges. As we heard last week, there are these sad repeated cycles over and over again that happen in the period of judges as they continuously do what is evil in the sight of the Lord, being influenced by pagan neighbors and then God delivers them, God helps them when they cry out for help. It happens over and over again. Because of the constant threat of war, during the time of Judges, the Hebrew people begin to beg for a king. The primary reason the Israelites asked for a king is so that the king could go out and fight their battles for them. They want some sort of stable government. <laughs> they were, yes, crying out. <laughs> crying out for help. They want some sort of stable government. Really, they want a king just like all the pagan nations around them have. So they're seeing all the pagan nations around them. They want a king just like the people that they're living life with, which brings us to the period of the kings, another crucial period of transition and change in the story of ancient Israel. Saul is anointed first king of Israel. Saul's story quickly unravels with an ever-descending spiral of spiritual darkness and emotional collapse. He was a disastrous king. Which brings us to the David story. The David story is the most extensively narrated story in God's large story. We know more about David than we know about any other person in the Holy Scriptures. When Samuel the prophet was directed by God to go and anoint the new king while King Saul was still functioning as the people's king. He is directed by God to the house of David. But what surprises him when he gets to the house of David is instead of the older brothers, God directs him to the youngest of all the brothers to anoint him to be the king, the one who is out keeping sheep. Early in young David's life, when he applies for the vacant job opening of fighting the giant Goliath. 
David stands before King Saul with a resume that has a whole lot of white space on it that simply reads, keeper of the family sheep and harp musician. However, at the point in God's story where we find ourselves this morning, David's, David's resume is amazing. Everything has come together. David is now king, but he doesn't follow any of the current job descriptions of kingship. David isn't a proud royal head of state exercising power. He's an obedient servant representing and reporting on the sovereignty of God. David reforms the office of king, which Saul messed up so badly. David now is riding the crest of the wave. He has miraculously defeated Goliath. He is married to a princess and has a whole lot of other wives. (laughs) He extended the borders of the kingdom. He unified the nation. He developed the new capital city of Jerusalem, the Ark of the Covenant, the very presence of God. It now is in the city of Jerusalem. He's gotten rid of his enemies. Everyone who opposed David is either dead or silent. All the battles have been won. He has built for himself a great palace to live in. His approval ratings are sky high from the Israelites, and it's probably true that David at this point could do just about anything that he wanted to do. So David, full of gratitude and filled always with energy and initiatives, he looks around for something to do. Which brings us to our scripture reading for today, 2 Samuel chapter seven. Now when the king was settled in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, The king said to the prophet Nathan, see now I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, go do all that you have in mind for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day, but I have been moving about in a tent and tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say, to my servant David. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. Your house and your kingdom 
shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts, may it all be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, oh God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It seemed like a good idea. David sitting in his palace, he looks out the window and he feels bad because he sees that God is living in a little flimsy portable tent. He realizes that God should have a house like me. Let's give God a permanent residence. I'm in a home, I will build God a home, we'll be next door neighbors, this will be great. David quite naturally wanted to do something for God who had done so much for him. You know these stories, somebody does well, succeeds in a profession, climbs a ladder to a secure rung and then decides to give back to the community. Something like this happens with King David, things have quieted down for him, no enemies are currently threatening, life is going well. David thinks, now that my life is set, I should do something for God. So he starts talking with Nathan, his pastor, about his next big project. This is the first mention of Nathan. He is David's closest advisor. When David will later steal another man's wife and murder the husband, it will be David from the king's court who will be the only one courageous enough to confront the king. But here, Nathan messes up. He speaks too quickly. Nathan thinks God's idea to build a permanent place for God's presence for the Ark of the Covenant is a, a great idea. Surely it's a great idea. Everything else has been going so well. So he gives Yahweh's blessing and approval. God then comes to Nathan in the middle of the night. David cannot build a house for the Lord. The Lord will build a house for David. God tells David, go back, and God tells Nathan, excuse me, to go back and tell David no. I don't need a house. I don't want it from him. Tell him I am utterly committed to him. I will build his house. But tell David I do not want him to build me a temple. It is an unexpected response. David is not wanting to be the head of a drug cartel or to harm someone with force. He is wanting to do something good. A fitting commentary on this lesson may be found in Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. Nathan now has to decide what to do with what could be a friendship breaker. A few years ago, I heard Joseph Grinney, one of the authors of the New Testament, or excuse me, New York Times bestseller. <laughs> yes, heresy, there you have it. Joseph 
Grinney, author of one of the New York Times bestsellers, Crucial Conversations, speak, he spoke on, uh, his talk was called, called Mastering the Art of Crucial Conversations. The book, Crucial Conversations, argues that the root cause of many, if not most, human problems lies in how people behave when others disagree with them. How people behave when others disagree with them about high stakes emotional issues. How does this book define crucial conversations? The, the authors of, these book, of this book, they whittle it down to three things. The first being opinions vary. The second being stakes are high. The third, emotions run strong. Opinions vary, stakes are high, emotions are running strong. Greeny believes at the heart of almost all chronic problems in our organizations, our teams, and our relationships lies crucial conversations ones that we're either not holding or not holding well. 20 years of research involving more than 100,000 people reveals that the key skill of effective leaders, teammates, parents, and loved ones is the capacity to skillfully address emotionally and politically risky issues. Most of us would like to create a life where we have fewer crucial conversations. The best way to do this, according to Grinny, live a meaningless life. You can measure the health of a team by counting undiscussables. At around three or four years of age, we begin to believe the following myth, you often have to choose between telling the truth and keeping a friend. When we find a way to candidly discuss our concerns, it builds intimacy within teams, organizations, and families. This is the principle of crucial conversations. Your individual influence is often a direct result of your ability to hold crucial conversations. It's often not so much what you say, it's why you say it. What's the intent behind what you are saying? Candor is not typically the problem. Safety is. The crucial skill is to build safety and then to find a way to talk about just about anything. The authors point to two key ingredients for safety, the first being mutual purpose, the second being mutual respect. Mutual purpose helps somebody know that you care about their interests, concerns, and problems. Mutual purpose. Mutual respect, communicate that you are going for the same things. And you are really important to me. The Bible is a history of crucial conversations, including this crucial conversation between God and David mediated through Nathan. Nathan had the difficult task of speaking truth to power. He went back to David and withdrew the building permit. He goes back and tells David all that God said about his future and about the future of his family. Why is this such a crucial conversation? Eugene Peterson writes in his wonderful book, I would commend this book to you if you'd like to read more about the life of David leaping over the wall. Peterson writes in that book his thoughts on why this moment is a pivotal moment. Peterson believes 
that David is just about to cross the line over being full of God to being full of himself. Just about to cross the line of being full of God to being full of himself. David, heady with success, wants to do God a favor. He needs to be reminded it's not about David and about what he can do for God. It is about God and what God alone can do through David. And what is David's response? What does David do? I'm gonna let you continue to do the reading and and to read the rest of the story, but I will share with us verse 18, which tells us that King David went in and sat before the Lord. He prayed. David is reminded that he is dependent upon God. Friends, think about all of the possible ways that David could have responded. He is in a place of almost absolute power at this time. He could have ignored David. He could have fired, excuse me, he could have ignored Nathan. He could have fired Nathan. He could have done just about anything that he wanted to do with Nathan. But instead, he sat before the Lord. Peterson writes that this might be the single most critical act David ever did. David gets himself out of the driver's seat and deliberately and reverently places himself before God the king. He was bursting with plans for God. He's operating from a place of strength, but he let himself be stopped by God. Sit down, David and humbly receive what God alone can give. Remember that God is the one who got you here. This could feel a bit passive when you are full of ideas and energy. But the work of prayer is never a passive thing. And David is going to do a whole lot of things following this prayer. He did a whole lot of things prior to this prayer. For we are called to live active lives when we are participating in the building of God's kingdom. If God is interested in one thing, it is David's heart. He wants David to be a different kind of king, to represent the Lord God Almighty. For that, a great deal of prayer will be required. Friends, I, I wonder several things as I sit with this passage, as I've, I've prayed for us this weekend. Here's one thing I wonder. I wonder who is a Nathan in your life? It is imperative that we all have a Nathan in our life. Someone who we trust, someone who we know cares about us, someone who we are in this together with who can speak truth to us who can confront us when we are beginning to go astray. So who is it who speaks truth to you? I also wonder, as we sit with this passage about the whole idea of crucial conversations, as I, once again, as you have this week, listen to our national news with uh, an incredibly heavy heart, being reminded of how this congregation and how our families and how this city and most especially how this nation how it is desperate for people who are able to engage crucial conversations, and that begins with us. Are we willing 
to engage in crucial conversations, how might we be able to grow in that way? And when God says no to good things, to a job opportunity, to a promotion, to pregnancy, to being chosen for a team or for a task, for healing, is it our unexpected response to pray? It turns out even spiritually alive people need to be reminded that God is in charge and that his ways are not necessarily our ways. As a way to help us to grow in grace and dependence and to reorient and to bend our wills to his, I'm gonna invite us this week to devote ourselves to prayer. Keep on with the practice of scripture reading. Additionally, let's work together to build our prayer muscles. The highest goal of prayer is communication or fellowship with God. Prayer, it's not a technique or a, a formula or a theory. It is a language that is used among friends. It is the language of relationship that communicates dependence. In the words of Pastor Tim Keller, prayer is not merely a way to get things from God, but a way to get more of God himself. In prayer, we begin to to desire the things God desires, to love the things God loves. I'd like to invite us to pray this week, and specifically, if you are willing to do so, and I know only some, some of you received these as you came in. We've got them waiting for you when you exit today. But there is a, a well-known prayer printed for you, a prayer of relinquishment, that I'm gonna invite us to pray together this week as a way to help us to remember that we are dependent upon God for everything. Dear friends, it is not about us and about what we can do for God. It is about God and what God alone can do through us. So we say to the author of the great story, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we now prepare to come to the Lord's table, when it is time to receive, you'll come forward, take a piece of bread and dip it in the cup and partake. Gluten-free is available, I will be holding that. All that we need to do is to receive. Let's prepare to come to this table of grace.